I know with you living in Minnesota, I, I feel like, you know, I would love to kind of touch on some of that stuff if that's not too, too much trauma for you. Um, but yeah, just to sure. chat about comedy and, you know, your job as much as you can share. And uh, we go from there. Like, tell me about like, who are you? Like, if you were to give a, a tra- oh, so if I was to like introduce you up on stage, but like mm. give you like a full introduction, what would you have me say? Um, Khadija Cooper is wildly beautiful, talented, <laughs> facts, facts. <laughs> funny, um, black woman who lives in the suburbs of Minneapolis, um, born and raised, you know, um, on the playground is where I spend most of my days. <laughs> um, I'm a mom of a 17 year old daughter, so I am like on the horizon of being an empty nester. Uh, I'm a sexuality educator. I really thrive in making sure that young people have accurate um, information about their bodies and about their sexual health. I also love talking to couples about intimacy and making sure that they can, you know, connect on some levels that over time can fade. That's something that I'm really also passionate about. Um, and, you know, just Twin Cities, second generation comedian. I, I mean, that. I'm, yeah. I love that. Um, there, there's so much to dig deep in just with what you said. Um, first, I wish, I wish I would have had my wife on because <laughs> that bitch, we got some issues. <laughs> like we got some issues in the bedroom. So gotta watch all three of these kids so uh it's, <laughs> it's her turn um let's 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 start with your your daughter so uh i just saw that she got is it her first job or she just got a job at panera yeah so it's her first job so wow. what, what yeah, was your first job excited. and how proud are you as a, as a mom right now um, my wallets were literally jumping up and down they're like yes bitch it is about time Um, I'm really proud. I think, um, growing up with a single mom, I worked since I was like 14, you know, times were different back then. They were like, "Mm, 14, get a job. But I think as a parent, I wanted her to be able to have as much of a like childhood as possible. Not saying that that can't happen if they're working, but you know, once you start working, you're doing it for the rest of your life. And I wanted her to really like live in that childhood for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I started noticing, I was like, you need a job because (laughs) I don't know where you think this money comes from. (laughs) Um, So yeah, she was like really excited to get a job. And it's so funny because we were just in Arizona with some friends of ours and they have um, a 16 and 17 year old daughter and the 16 year old daughter while we were down there got a job at Panera. And I think it was like, positive peer pressure that like made my daughter come home and like get on like applying for jobs and stuff so i was like okay positive peer pressure come through that is that's hilarious i, I lived in uh, arizona for six years and we didn't have a panera for the longest it was called paradise bakery is is what is what arizona or the west coast version of it was okay and i don't know what happened but parent panera was like Nah, nigga, this is our shit. So they just they they knock out all of all of them, and uh, they start opening up Paneras, and it was like like the Walmart of yeah, yeah, so like, like up class bakeries. Like, it it literally was here. like the same sandwiches, but like 
I don't know, like an extra slice of meat or something. Like, like my wife, uh, she, she, you know, she's white. So she's like, I can tell the difference you know, <laughs> between like the same shit. I'm like, okay, like I understand. So, um, okay. So, and, and you talked about a uh, second generation. So uh, implying that your mother is a professional comedian. Has she, was she a comedian your whole life? And when, because uh, because you're fairly new, but in my in my opinion, one of the gifts and the curse of, of living where I am, I get to watch people, but I don't get to see them, you know, from afar as much as I like to. And mm-hmm. as I've watched you, you do not seem like your traditional, you know, new comic in my first couple of years. You seem like you really, you know, got off the ground running and things have been kind of really going really well for you early so um yeah. like when did you really get started and and how did your mother affect you as far as making that decision that hey i want to tell jokes now yeah so i mean i remember like being eight years old and my mom bringing me to open mics like you know <laughs> it wasn't bad to like have a kid in a smoky bar back then you know I we're know. talking about the early 90s people okay <laughs> and I just remember as a child, like looking at my mom on stage, it doesn't like I have no recollection of like if there were people there or whatever. But I just remember my mom in that spotlight mm-hmm. and like people laughing and the joy on her face. And I was like, holy shit, my mom is famous. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, my God, is my mom Beyonce? You know, <laughs> like you have no idea of like when you're eight, what that really means. Mm-hmm. And laughter has always been the medicine in my home. We have always that's just like in my family. That's always been like a core fundamental thing. And so Back when I was like 13, my mom had a cable access show and me and my mom would go on Saturdays and we would do this show called the Casey and Cece show. Those (laughs) those are our initials. And it would just be like like, stupid, like me and my mom talking. It was like the view before that even started, but it was just like me and her. Mm -hmm. And... I remember some of the like vets in comedy, like remember me when I was a kid and now get to see me do comedy, which is just like... Mm -hmm so wild and so one of my mom's friends who does comedy bev also had a cable access show that was a stand-up comedy show and she sent me a tape of me doing like comedy at 13 and let me tell you when i told you i got on that stage and moved that mic stand from day one i was like okay because you know you see new comics you're like move the fucking mic stand (laughs) you know it's like yeah comic 101 and so i went i went on a hiatus after that for um a little over 20 years and then I got back into comedy <laughs> when I was uh 36. Wow. So yeah. And it was always I something thought I was that older I'm... than you. I just turned 36 oh, in March. Uh, I'm 38. Oh, I thought I thought you were like 32 or Mm-mm. look girl, we you look be- okay. you know, you girl, get it. Get it. I'm okay, sorry. you better put that Vaseline on. Fuck all that <laughs> shit. Okay, my, my grandma put Vaseline on every single day, and so do I. My okay? my three year old, I've I've now convinced him that Vaseline cures all issues. <laughs> so like when he bumps or scrapes or hits, like it, it is the cute. It is our generation robotussed. Like my my son. It is. is. It, I mean, let me tell you, Vaseline has got me through some really tricky times. Let's be honest. Okay, between me and you, let's be honest. Uh, um oh sorry yeah. So, yeah you you so you took a hiatus you're back and you started so it's been about two years plus yeah 
how how is it having a having a first year of comedy and then really kind of moving into a pandemic year of comedy and now bouncing back from that yeah so like the interesting thing i think is because like you said i really did hit the ground running i think for me being you know in my upper 30s when i started comedy i just like wanted to get to work you know Mm -hmm. i didn't i really treated it as like a part-time job as much as i love it and as much as like it is my passion and i really do love to do it I treated it as a business and I listened, I learned, I watched, I observed that whole year. So when, you know, 2020 came, I was like, all right, like I'm getting into my third year of comedy. Like this is it. Like I'm really like gaining grounds and I'm ready. And then the world stopped. And I like really went through like a sadness because in my opinion, like the way I thought about comedy, it's like, it's a seniority thing. Like the, like when comedy does come back, like I'm, I'm, I'm like nobody, like nobody's mm-hmm. going to know who I am. And so I was like, that's my, um, sorry. That's all right. You're famous. Um, I was like, so I really have to like navigate how to come back into comedy with nobody knowing who I was. Thankfully, like when you have hard work and you have work ethic and you, treat comedy as a business which people really respect i like kind of was able to for lack of better words kind of pick up where i left off Mm -hmm. i'm definitely not getting booked as much as i would like now but that that doesn't mean that it won't happen you know for me okay um let's see so let's let's go back to your job six um operator no (laughs) i feel like you can do it like on a side gig how do how does one get into that business like how like did you choose the job or did the job choose you yeah i would definitely say the job chose me um so i have a degree in human services which is basically like social work with less paperwork mm-hmm. um, more direct service and I was on a trajectory. I really thought I was going to be like a juvenile probation officer. I was like, we have to change the system. We have to change the like school to prison pipeline. I was like, I'm the fucking one to do the job. Norma Ray, <laughs> let's fucking go. I did one informational interview with like a pro- <laughs> probation officer from like, I mean, he must have been doing it 45 years. You, I mean, you know this guy. He's like the old 1970s. Right, right. Who um, like had a ponytail, like, but only had hair in the back, like the top was really thin. And I mean, if it was back in the day, he would have been smoking a cigarette during this interview, (laughs) but it's not allowed. And just like talking to him and observing what was going on around me, I was like, oh shit, like this, this system is not ready for change at the time. You know, because I've been doing this for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, shit, like this is not for me. And the place that I work at, I, I've always known about it because it's actually in the neighborhood where I went to school. So oh, it's, wow. That's like it's a clinic that um, like a lot of people that I know went to, you know, get their condoms, get their pregnancy tests. I have so many friends that found out they were pregnant from this clinic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, you work there now. Awesome. Um And I went in there and I was like, you know, you just have those moments where you're like, oh, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I Mm -hmm. feel like it's so important 
for people of color when they have it on their heart to get into social services because it's filled with like well-intentioned white people mm-hmm. serving black and brown community right. Right. and it's really important um especially around sexual health and all like the trauma and history that goes into that especially for black and brown folks that they have people like talking to them about this stuff so mm-hmm. Oh, that's uh that's that's so intriguing to me. And you you talk a bit about that on on stage. If someone was to come see you that had never seen you, what could they expect or what would they expect from your material? Like what does Khadija like to talk about on stage? Yeah, so I really describe my comedy as autobiographical. It's really taken straight from my life. You know, <laughs> um I think like being a mom. Like, I'm single now. Um, like, when I did your show, I wasn't. But I know. Gone. I was going to talk about that. I was going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about it. I have no I have no shame, no filter. Um, just being a mom, like, now that I'm 38 and dating, what's that like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just really about my life. And I feel like it's relatable no matter if you're... Like, obviously, I'm a Black woman, so that is my perspective. But, like, these things are still, like, can be transferred from anyone. I've had people be like, oh, yeah, my daughter did that. Or, oh, my gosh. Like, you know. And when I talk about my work, it's like everyone has had some type of memory or something around sexual health. If it's a talk with their parents at school, with their kids. So it's something that's really relatable to everyone because sexuality is is like we all have it you know what what is a great age or what would you recommend or suggest a great age to start talking to your children about these things whether it's you know the birds and the bees or anything you know more or or less what's a great age would you say hey these conversations should maybe start coming up uh, around this time yeah we say early and often so i mean it really starts with like birth i mean that sounds like crazy but let me just like you looked at me like excuse me bitch um (laughs) go for it i mean i'm behind on on some of these kids but but like here's like here's what we say like when your kids are young like Mm -hmm. they ask questions like if you take baths with your kids like oh why doesn't mommy and daddy look the same or whatever Mm -hmm. i mean i think the number one thing is like age appropriate you know so when you're talking about from like zero to five like that that you know toddler pre it's really like naming body parts like you know a lot of young kids i mean you have kids they touch their genitals they hump and for like younger kids it can be like soothing for them and it also just like feels good and it's not necessarily like a sexual thing Mm -hmm. but it's also just kind of like why some kids suck their thumb right it's just something that feels good and then as you move into like elementary school those conversations are really about you know they have questions about like where do babies come from and there's really great books that can help assist with that middle and high school it it that's when the conversations aren't necessarily about sex it's you know as as parents that like where we work i say parents are the primary sexuality educators for their children it's about talking to your kids about your values around sexuality and relationships talking to your kids about what you want them to have, what kind of partner you want them to be, what kind of partner you want them to be. And in middle school, it's really like you start the conversation with friendships and all having these conversations, like 
throughout a lifetime really just um, allows your young person and your children to be like, oh, my parents are my go-to people. Mm -hmm. So when something happens or mm -hmm. when I'm in a relationship, like I know like my parents aren't going to judge me or make me feel shame about my body or anything like that. Or maybe I am thinking about having sex and I want to get on birth control or go get condoms. I know like my parent is a safe person to do that. And if you're a parent that's like, nope, I'm good. I don't want to be that person. That We walk alongside those parents too. But we also suggest it's really important that you have uh, resources mm -hmm. like the place that I work at that young people can get accurate information and all of these things and like be safer when they do decide if they decide to be sexually active at an early age. And when you do this, statistically, young people who engage in sex early will be safer. May that be birth control, condoms, et cetera, or they delay their, they we call it their debut of sexual, <laughs> like having sex. Um, I could go on and on. Don't get me started. Like, I love it. Sexual open micers out here. I like it. <laughs> um, uh, so, so I have, I have two, two follow-ups to that one. Um, how, so if they were to, I, I remember, so I do debates on my Facebook all the time and I've been doing it yeah. for years and uh it it sometimes they are very intriguing topics to me sometimes they're just bullshit and you know like what's your favorite yeah. disney movie or shit like that uh one of them i posted a while back and i just immediately thought about you um it, it had something to do with how how if they were to make a like sex education class for public schools or something like that what grade would should they start in like, are you for or against it? And um, I'm not wording the question correctly, but I, I just remember a bunch of people like, no, they shouldn't be teaching sex education um, for second graders. And then there were people like, why the fuck not? Parents aren't doing a great job at it. So like, where, yeah. where would you fall on introducing uh, a class like that in, in school where a teacher or a sex, you know, educator was, was sharing that information two kids and how early would you say is a is a great idea for that in in, in your opinion yeah in my opinion um preschool i mean and it goes along with the same thing i was saying with parents in preschool we're not teaching them about stds and and birth control in preschool we're talking about like your body is your body and mm -hmm. like you have a right to tell people that like they can touch you or not mm -hmm. um we're building skills in young people so if they're in a situation when they're in high school or in a relationship they have the self-confidence to maybe speak up for themselves in ways that generations before haven't or kind of like shift that narrative to like consent, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that have to be taught. We teach our kids to share. Why are we not teaching them how to articulate how and when they want somebody to touch their body? So it starts in preschool. And it right um, now. <laughs> what'd you say? You're killing it right now. I could not agree more. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, you know, I think it's also important to think about like puberty. It's it's so beneficial to teach kids about their bodies and puberty changes before it happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, like think about a young girl going through a period and nobody's ever told her that and mm -hmm. you're bleeding mm -hmm. out of like a very private, like the whole world and everybody's like, this is a very private part of your body and you're bleeding from mm -hmm. it. <laughs> and nobody said anything to you about it. That is terrifying. Right. You know, and it's and. And I think also when I when I do parent education and I we talk about development, that is like that is our secret weapon, because like me knowing development has only made me be a better parent. 
right? Because it's like, oh, the way that my daughter's acting right now, like her brain is actually like changing. And like, these things are very like normal for her mm-hmm. to be reacting to. So then I can react better, mm. right? Then maybe generations before didn't know how to, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. So switching gears, but still on the same topic. So I'm, yes. I'm 36 now and I feel like my sex game is pretty poor. Like it, it used to be like, <laughs> say in my 20s maybe even early 30s i was i was doing stuff and then uh you know you get married you slow down and i don't feel like my sex game is is it's probably average at this point um i love that you're honest with i mean i'm I'm telling you there was i i I went on i had stretches where i was like seven eight nine i can i threw out a couple tens in my life before it's all over in in your life if you were to rate your sex game uh, one through ten, what would you give it? And do you feel like you have sort of an advantage because you have particularly more information, more knowledge than, say, your average sex person? <laughs> you know, like just your average average Joe. Yeah, um, I would definitely say my sex game is a ten, and I want to <laughs> say it's because. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) and I think, I think a little bit of it has to do with like my confidence and like, I'm able to articulate things in the bedroom that I don't think a lot of women specifically have been conditioned to Mm. a lot of women, you know, like I talk to a lot of my friends and it's just like, I just kind of like go with the flow and it's like, "Mm, you'd be surprised how many people like actually want you to tell them what to do Mm -hmm. because if are always just trying to make you come and they're doing the same thing they've done for years it's like i mean i will tell dudes like what are you doing oh, i just want to make you come that's not gonna do it <laughs> i love it you know? i love it and i'm like this like a b a b up down up down left right left right pressure circle <laughs> done like boom. you know what i mean i know my body very well um and that's another thing. Like I do, I know my body very well. I've explored my body by myself, like in lots of different ways. Um, and I think like people forget that a lot of the, what makes sex really enjoyable is not only about what's happening physically, but it's like your brain. Like we say mm-hmm. your brain is your biggest sex organ. Okay. Yeah. Because if you're like, Oh, I'm thinking about my groceries and I'm like thinking about whatever. <laughs> I think the thing that I always do when I engage in like sex with somebody, I am so present and that Mm. just makes it so much better. I'm not thinking about, okay, like when he's done with this, I'm going to get on top and like whip my hair. I'm not thinking (laughs) about none of that shit. I am so present in the moment and like what is happening and like so in tune with my breathing. Mm -hmm. That's why Mm -hmm. I think, um, and I can articulate that. It's like, dude, you're huffing and puffing too much. Take slow it down a little bit and it will feel better. You know? <laughs> I love this is just free game right now. I love I love it. Um okay, so he's probably like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is fantastic. I love this. Um I feel I feel closer <laughs> to you. Um yeah. so so going back, yeah, I so since the pandemic, I, I stopped producing shows for the most part. I got one show that I do, but it's nothing like the monthly show that I, that I was doing. And I came across your name and, and probably familiar uh, people. Um, and that's why I extended the invitation and it wasn't much. I think I only was able to pay you 50 bucks, but you, you were like four, you came, you killed, you did a great job. 
Um, that was one of the first shows that I started doing Q and A's after the show, which I thought were was a, was a great idea to not only extend the shows but also just give insight because the one of the best things that I like about podcasts, even though everybody's doing it, is I feel like it's a little bit more in depth, sometimes more intimate than your you know than your you know than a set on on stage or just you know right. chit chatting after shows or before shows. So, um, how how is life? for you getting out of minnesota do you do that often um or do you feel like hey you know there's still a pandemic so i'm just kind of in minnesota right now yeah i mean i would love to before the pandemic i i was really trying to set my sights on getting booked outside of minnesota because it's like okay i feel like i'm funny at home like am i funny wherever else you know um so, like, actually, the only places that I've been is Iowa for your show. And then I did um, Madison's um, Comedy Week, which is, like, their comedy festival. Mm. And I did comedy on, um, so I did comedy on stage for that. And then I was at the Skyline. And honestly, like, going to Wisconsin is just, like, Minnesota's, <laughs> like, more successful brother. You know what I mean? Like, that, like, peaked in high school, but, like, does okay at his, like, insurance job. So, it just feels like one in the same. I got you. Um, so, being in Minnesota, so, I used to live in Minnesota. Um, that's actually what got me out of Detroit, and I spent three years there. And I, it, it was... It was a great experience just because coming from Detroit and, and really being exposed to a lot of different things for me. Um, and then <laughs> then I dated a white girl who she was my first white girl I ever dated. And she had a black girlfriend. And I I I was always amazed by that, first of all. But but more importantly, I was always like picking her brain. Like, how do you navigate through this Minnesota world as a black woman? And, you know, she, she, I feel like I was kind of stereotypic with her. Cause I was like, you ain't really black. Like I was, I was one of those dudes coming from Detroit, but she, she oh, definitely surprised me and amazed Don't me. do that. I know. I know. Like I was. People do that to me all the time, my whole life. It's like the worst. But, but the sad thing is people did that to me as well. Like, you know, I, I articulate right. or I speak well, I'm not, you know, traditionally black, this, that, and the other. But when I got right. to Minnesota, I was just amazed that, uh, she was she was doing well there as a black woman in Minnesota. How do you navigate uh, through you know racism or stereotypes? You know the the people that you have around you because I I found myself very isolated at first, but then you know like I was I was always like wondering, am I friends with this person because they want to be friends with me or they they want a black friend? Do you, do you, right. do you have those thoughts? Do you, have you overcome them? How do you navigate through, through living in Minnesota your whole life as a black woman? Yeah, I think I, I kind of had to like put it aside and be like, Oh, is that really my thing to worry about? Mm. Right. Um, I feel, I always say, like, I live by the model, like, time is the ultimate truth teller. Mm. And, like, most of my friends are white. My daughter's biracial. I date a lot of white dudes. So I've um, kind of just, like, always figured that out. Like, oh, you know what? Actually, like, you have two, like, microaggressions. It was too much. You're not my people. Um, and honestly, like, my white friends are hella ghetto. Like, they're more ghetto than I. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm, you live places I would never. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so they get it, you know. Um, but I think I, I think I'm at an age now that I'm able to call it out and call it in when I need to, when it feels right for me to. And I'm at a place now in my life where I have like such a solid group of people that I really call like my true friends and like all the other stuff is like not my concern to worry about. Cause it will, it will eat you up. Mm-hmm. It will really defeat you. And I was, you know, I'm very lucky to have been raised by phenomenal, phenomenal tribal women, like my family's very matriarchal and like, so I guess I just kind of like, you got to like it or love it or leave it or love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to like it or love it. Don't leave. Don't leave. <laughs> um, what do you find to be more challenging? Um, being a black, a black comedian or a woman comedian or, or maybe both. <clears throat> Honestly. Oh, that's a good question. I feel I feel a couple things. One, I feel like it's helpful a little bit, you know, because everyone's like, oh, we want diversity. And it's like, boom, I got tits and dark skin. Like, I got both. That you do. <laughs> you can check both boxes if you book me on your show. Okay. So do you want do you want two black people or do you want like two women? Like, what do you want? You know? So it's like things. But it's not only that, it's like I show up and I do my thing and I have a good time and all that stuff. But I really think um, probably, I guess being a woman, I guess, is probably harder in comedy. I don't know. Again, it's like you, I want to, you know, I haven't been doing comedy that long, so I haven't gotten to see, like, it change. I've gotten to see it change through, like, my mother's experience, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. through my own. And I think people are trying to, you know, look more, like, diversity, not like, white do, white do, white do, white do. And I feel like if people really pay attention to the audience, they would, one, book more women and book more diversity because who goes to comedy shows? Couples. And like girls night out, like it's very seldom you'll see like a bunch of bros going unless it's like Joe Rogan, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like smart to like make sure you have a woman on the lineup so that there's like different perspectives. And if you're putting together a complete show, you know, or showcase, I guess it's just like smart, regardless mm-hmm. of like how you feel about women in comedy or whatever. If you're a good business person and a good booker, this is just my opinion. Like you will always have a woman person of color on the lineup, some diversity. It's just, it's just like smart. Unless you're in North Dakota, fuck them. They can keep it. (laughs) 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 Which, which comedians really inspire you or motivate you? Or or would you say you look up to, or you've, you've learned the most from? Yeah. I really like Nicole Byer. Cause I feel like she, (laughs) I can see that. Um, <clears throat> I feel, <clears throat> excuse me, that we, I can always appreciate somebody who's like not a stereotypical black comic performer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and for people who don't know what that is, just like look up Def J. I mean, there is a style to it that I think black audiences really like and like black people do exceptionally well. That's not necessarily my style of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like Nicole Byer because I just love people who are like authentically who 
They are. She's like, I'm like fat and I love skinny, nerdy white dudes. And I'm like, oh my God, are you my sister? (laughs) Um, So I really appreciate that about her. Um, And then just like the classics, I really like Dave Chappelle. I think he's very smart. Um, And I like, I can't remember her name, but the girl from Insecure the friends. Oh, you're talking about. Ah, um, uh, fuck. I was gonna she call has her. a stand up on HBO. I cannot yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, but I watched it. and I was like really surprised at like how funny she was because she's not like really funny on the show. Her character is not super funny. Um, I didn't know that she did comedy before she was on that show. I'm awful at pop culture. I just want to put that out there. Um, I'm not up on it. I'm like, let the celebrities live their life. I don't got time to follow it. So I'm really bad at that. But um, it's her I really like Amy, uh, Amanda Seals. Nope. The oh, other not one, her? One. Are you talking about the I friend like, Natasha? Like oh, no, you must be talking about her best friend. Uh, are you talking about Molly? Yeah. Molly, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, her name is Yvonne. I can't pronounce her last name. Or yeah, it's like or very Jay. African. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. So, so I haven't seen it, but uh, like I like I saw it, like I was scrolling through. I hadn't seen it. You're saying I gotta watch it? I, I mean, I think it's I think it's stellar. It's so good. Okay, because because I I mess with Amanda uh, Seals a little bit, but yeah, you know, like she she kind of fell into the the category of everybody has an opinion on her off stage you know like uh right. as far as like the the comedy circle she is this and she is that but what i've seen from her i've enjoyed but but yeah. I, I, I it's hard to not call her molly but uh, uh i'm interested yeah. to see yeah i didn't know she i didn't know she did comedy as well so okay yeah, I'll, uh, I, I really liked her um but i think now that i do comedy i have to be really careful about watching comedy because like i will watch comedy and I'll be like, oh, I have a bit that's close to that. And it's just like, it gets, mm-hmm. it gets sticky. Mm-hmm. And it gets, you know, kind of like, oh, I just don't want to like stay away from that. So if I watch comedy, like I have no shows coming up, like, I don't know. Or I just, you know, because even when I go watch comedy or when I'm doing shows and I'm watching comedy, people will say something that inspires you to write stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I just want to be like really careful with that and, Lived experience is so, like, can be um, universal. So mm-hmm. if you have, like, a dark-skinned Black woman who's telling her story, you know, it's just, like, it gets too close sometimes. I understand that. I, um, I, I fought, I fought, like, I run into two issues. One, with, with the internet and how everybody's a comedian, uh, meme comedy, um, you know, just tweets, just bits that... Um, that I have or or kind of have that's similar and then I'll see like someone made a meme and I'm like that's that's like a punchline to one of my jokes is like do I keep telling the joke do I change the joke do I drop the joke and uh after going back and forth so much I'm like I'm gonna keep doing it and then the other issue is you know people ask me like do I you must watch a lot of stand-up comedy and my my fear is is that cross universal premise it's like yeah. Um, seeing seeing a Dave Chappelle do a bit and, and and instantly having like two or three jokes from that, and it's like it's it's not organic for me. And so I like to watch stand up comedy, but it doesn't typically motivate me to write or do my own thing. I like to find other things that mm-hmm. that motivate me. So uh, that's oh, very oh. good point. Oh, so uh, so we're we're at the end. Thank you for for spending time and, and doing this. Uh, it it means a lot. 
Um, I've been doing this podcast for over a year and I really have guests on, but because I got a new fancy mic now and because everybody has, you know, been, I have, I've had people that have been wanting to come on and I saw your post, Ooh, like some weeks back. And I'm like, I, I love to have you come on, uh, when I, when I get my stuff situated. <laughs> so thank you. Um, not to, not to end things on a, on a down note, but as a black man and as a black comic i'm 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 always in between this talking about real shit you know it's almost like you know i want to be funny but then i also want to be an activist at times i took my son to mm-hmm. his first protest last year and um i think george floyd kind of shook you know the world um yeah. living in minnesota there to me i i view the last several years and decades you know there's there's been so much black trauma um, specifically yeah. in Minnesota with uh, a lot of things going back to uh, Philando Castile um, and more recently with, with Dante uh, Wright. Like, do you feel the need to speak on these things or include these things as, as a comedian or as a black woman? How do you sort of handle this stuff when it happens so close to home? Yeah. Um, so you asked like 16 questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the longest episode ever. <laughs> no, but here's like a couple things that I say. People always ask like, oh, Khadija, is your uh, comedy like a form of social justice and all these things? And like, um, I was asked this actually with Ali and he answered it perfectly. So I'm going to use his words. And he said, if I want to be like, if somebody wants to be an activist, go do activism. Like, I don't have to use my comedy. That brings me joy as a form of activism. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it happens like transversely because like, this is my identity and these are the things that I talk about. So like, yeah, when I go to like small town, Minnesota and People are like, well, I don't like really know any black people. And they're like, oh, I like you. They like, you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. could change their viewpoint about one thing. Mm-hmm. And if people want to call that activism, fantastic. Call me fucking, you know, my Angela. <laughs> right. Um, but I don't write as like, oh, I'm going to write this bit. I know people who do that very well, who use their comedy as a way of activism. I don't necessarily like I do talk about like Black Lives Matter. I do talk about. I have a bit, you know, that talks about like me fucking white dudes and like that's how we're gonna change racism, you know, and like, you know, it's it's worked a little bit. I've have changed some views. Um, <laughs> it's because I was so present and I had my breathing right. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Given that ten, given that ten set. <laughs> when you get that ten, yeah. oh, fucking change the racism. Um, <laughs> let me add him. I'm the girl for the job, but um, I think. I think what's important, especially for Black folks right now, is like whatever it is that brings you joy, do that thing. And that is okay. If you're like, I don't have it in me to go protest. I don't have it in me to like go, you know, donate supplies or go shopping or like get the GoFundMes to go. Like that is okay. Like you have the authority to rest and you shouldn't feel pressure to show up for your community in ways you don't have the capacity to because like white people are doing fucked up shit to us like Mm -hmm. publicly and like openly i do want to say that um and i feel 
about everything that's happening in Minnesota. You know, people ask, it's like, I, I, I almost don't have like words to articulate other than like, it's just, it's so fucked up and it's, and it's repeatedly and it's like tearing our community down. Mm-hmm. And like, when that happens, we as a community have to build ourselves back up. And I think, you know, every incident hits people at different points. And I think with Dante, what really happened for me is that one, he was in a community that we support as an organization where I work and the likeliness that we touched his life in some way, maybe in our classes, because there's only one high school in that area, um, is really high. And I think also I'm raising a biracial daughter who is very like on the nose about these things. And when I have a conversation with her and it's like my light skin that used to be my privilege and like mm-hmm. a protection isn't anymore. And that like breaks my heart. You know, when she, when you have your child seeing their identity in something so tragic, that's that's heartbreaking as a as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess I guess that's what I'll say about that. What was the other fourteen questions? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, no, I, I think you. you <laughs> I think you've uh, said enough. <laughs> yeah, I think you said enough about it, and uh, we don't have to uh, <laughs> go dig deeper into it. But uh, no, I appreciate your perspective. Um, I don't think I have anything else more to add than that. I think uh, what you said was was great and. Uh, I'll definitely leave it at. It's been fantastic talking to you. I wish uh, I wish I talked. I would like to talk to you more in my life. Yeah. That, that a, can that be a thing? I'll just yeah. reach out to you randomly on Instagram and uh, see how yes. you're doing from time to time. Yeah, bring your wife and we'll do a whole like one-off special like couples therapy episode. Yeah, well, you should just sit her down and berate her with all the things she should do <laughs> sexually <Okay>. for me. <laughs> I'll be like, grab his balls and just blow, bitch. <laughs> Hey, you be well, uh, Khadija. I appreciate you making time. Me too. I appreciate you too. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.